This is Eric Anderson from Cardno. You're listening to 1590 WCGO, Chicago's Smart Talk. The Mike Novak Show starts in three, two, one. Oh, so my doctor, he told me to watch what I'm eating, told me to read food labels. I'm in a store reading a Fig Newton's label. I've always liked Fig Newton's. I'm trying to see if it's okay to eat them, and everything looked fine, the fat content, everything. I looked at the serving size, two cookies. Who the hell eats two cookies? I ate Fig Newtons by the sleeve. Two sleeves is a serving size. I open them both and eat them like a tree chipper. Fig Newton shavings coming off the side. With the size of a poaching stamp. You want another one? Oh, I don't know. I've already had two whole entire Fig Newtons. Maybe I could try to muscle one more down, but I don't think I'm going to... Mmm, right, I'm stuffed with the rockets. They're nuts. We got an ER here. We got a three-fig Newton eater. How many did he have? What is he, nuts? Doesn't he read? It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome at 877-711-5611. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas, wind blowing through breathing trees, strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets. This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. And by Happy Leaf LED Grow Lights, USA made with a five-year warranty. Jumpstart your plants with better light. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. And welcome. Here we are once again on the road, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. We are on the south side of Chicago today. Let's... We need a ding for the double ding for the south side there of Chicago. Uh, <laughs> we are at the Wild Blossom <laughs> Meadery, Winery, and Brewery. See, now, you guys pick up those microphones, and uh, because we have uh, the proprietors okay, here, on <laughs> Greg Fisher and Audrey Fisher. Now, Audrey's been on the program before, uh, but not talking about mead and not talking about wine and beer. And not beer. wearing a sunflower hat. Yeah. That's right. I, I hope we're getting that on. We're... we're, we're Oh, look at that. Oh, that's okay, great. <laughs> on your left, as you're looking at the Facebook signal, uh, that is... Uh, now, face the camera. Face yep. straight out, Audrey, so we can see the sunflower. And there you go. There. <laughs> <laughs> and that's because you had a run here before mm-hmm. the event yeah. uh, at the, the meadery, winery, and brewery. And bakery and and no whatever everything else. I know. I'm just trying to <laughs> think what else. Shop. No, we <laughs> had a great run this morning out of the. You know, it was a bricks 27 degrees out. 
and what was great is that, you know, I thought this would be a mud run with all the, <laughs> everything thawed out, but everything was nice and frozen for us, so all the runners stayed nice and clean, and my white metery floor is still white. <laughs> it, it is so far. I, yeah. Although I noticed people coming in, they had mud on their on their legs, and you had mud on your costume. And, yeah, and a little bit, but not. It, it would have been really muddy if it would. Well, actually, in about another hour when everything thaws out. It's yeah. Be yeah. So um, I'm so impressed that you you have this event this morning, and we're going to get to it. You've got uh, a honey tasting later on. We've got the show now. There's going to be some. Mead Moses, is that what yep, I hear? Yep. I'm 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 all up for that. Those are those are great. Uh, we're oh, getting yeah. Mead Moses, and uh, we've got folks from Bartlett Tree Experts uh, here to, and we'll be talking uh, to uh, Phil Fitch in just a second. We've got Val Kehoe and Anina Baki to talk about conservation at home in Cook County, and then in the second hour we have Chef Carrie Schloss, uh, who's going to. Uh, come and talk about her honey recipes because then at 11.30 you've got the honey tasting and oh and my we're goodness. cooking some of her recipes our, our uh, caterers have six of her different recipes oh, wow. so we're going we're gonna to eat good today. Alright and look and, at and who's folks on can, folks can come on out yeah, you can come down right now. It's 9030 South Hermitage in yep. Chicago. And we're, we're going to get to you in the second hour. I just wanted to say hi and get an introduction. Great. But I'm very impressed. You have Alderman Howard Brookins from the 21st Ward in sitting right next. In beak inspired tie. Yes, you've got the beast. Absolutely. I'm glad to be here. Greg Fisher and Audrey do a fantastic job with this meadery. It is a jewel in our community. And we're so blessed and proud to have them here. And how long uh, have you guys been here? We've been about two years now. 60, so, yeah, two, yeah year two, two years open, uh, building a steady clientele, and people are slowly starting to find out where they are. Because when I say, did you know we have a winery in the, in the community? <laughs> I don't say meadery, because then I have to explain what a mead is. But they're like, no, where is that place? And, and when they come here, they're pleasantly surprised. And we're just so blessed to have Greg here. So blessed to have his honeybees flying around pollinating our flowers, too. You, you know, and, and you said exactly what I was going to ask you. It's not every uh, alderman that can say, we have a meadery and a winery in our ward. Not many at all, if any. No, no. All right, well, I, 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 we're going to go to a break here, but I will mention very quickly, you're in a runoff this Tuesday. How are you feeling about it? Uh, we feel great, and uh, I have said that I'm the undisputed king of runoffs. I've been in three, and so I, I, it is just par for the course. All right, back with the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki in just a sec. Hey, this is Peggy, and I'm here to tell you about Natural Awakenings Chicago Magazine, your independent go-to resource for everyday wellness. Natural Awakenings is still the greenest, healthiest magazine in the Chicago area. For more than eight years, we've been helping you find ideas and resources to lead a healthier, more fulfilling, and sustainable lifestyle. Each month, we take a fresh look at nutrition, wellness, fitness, complementary medicine, personal growth, and green living. Natural Awakenings includes great articles about raising healthy kids, too. And we include lots of ideas for your home, your garden, and taking care of our planet. If you like good food, you'll love our tasty recipes and meal ideas. And check out our monthly calendar. It's full of local events to keep you inspired and connected. Natural Awakenings is available throughout the city, as well as suburban Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. And it's free. Or visit us at nachicago.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. 
Stay in touch with The Mike Novak Show. Find us on Facebook at The Mike Novak Show. Use the Twitter handle at Mike Now. Send us a photo on Instagram at The Mike Novak Show or write to us, Mike at MikeNovak.net. We're also at TheGreenDivas.com and on the Gab Radio Network. Podcasts and blog posts are available every week at MikeNovak.net. Sign up for posts in our newsletter on the homepage and support the sponsors who support us. Look for their logos and specials at MikeNovak.net. Sail on, my little honeybee, sail on. <laughs> sail on. Spinning the tunes this morning. Okay, sail on, my good honeybee, sail on. Randall, I'm giving you a ding for that. That was an excellent. I hope the I hope the quality of the musical bumps in the rest of the show meet that level. Okay. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki on the south side of Chicago at Wild Blossom Meadery Winery and Brewery. And as we mentioned earlier, you can still come on down. There's folks here. We're going to have a, a honey tasting later on. Um, Where's that mead? Where's the, where are the mead you know, where's moses? Where's the mead moses? We understand there were going to be some mead moses here, and uh, uh, we'll look around. Maybe they'll they'll show up. Uh, and we're very pleased right now to start uh, because this is our our semi regular uh, visit with Bartlett Tree Experts, uh, the great sponsor of the Mike Novak Show. In fact. Uh, we've got uh, Phil Fitch from the Chicago branch of Bartlett. Uh, Phil, good morning. Good morning, Mike and Peggy. Uh, it's <laughs> it's great to have you here. And um, you're um, a certified arborist. Are you a master uh, arborist? That's true. I am a board master certified arborist. Wow. Okay. You get another one of those. <laughs> what does that mean? How does that? What what kind of a level above? Uh, a reg being a certified arborist is that. What do you need to know? Well, I've seen you've, you've done your homework, Mike. Yeah, the uh, board certified master arborist is a credential uh, that is one of the highest levels uh, of credentials that the International Society of Arboriculture offers. And uh, in order to get that credential, you need to be a certified arborist uh, for a number of years and have uh, a certain level of education as well. And then uh, you just take additional exams, and if you pass the test, voila. And here we are. Uh, I need to tell you that earlier this week, um, Peggy and I went down to the Bartlett Research Laboratories in Charlotte, North Carolina. Have you been down there? Yeah, a couple times. Beautiful, oh, well, right? There you go. Oh, it's, yeah. It was amazing, although it was 40 degrees, but the uh, crab apples were in bloom, which unlike, unlike here in Chicago, and of course we had snow this morning, uh, which is just nuts. But uh, winter just refuses to let go here in uh, Chicago, doesn't it? Yeah, pretty brutal. Um, we did have a couple of those 60, 50 degree days, and that's uh, that's really important, obviously, to to get things going, get the vascular tissue of the, the trees and plants pumping. Um, a couple of things that homeowners should be aware of this spring uh, are, are winter injury of landscape plants uh, due to those low temperatures that we we did experience this winter. Uh, we had a few days that were, you know, negative 20 uh, Fahrenheit, uh, and that can lead to root, root mortality, uh, especially in marginally hardy species, uh, and also plant tissue death. Uh, the buds sometimes will either, either fail to open, or uh, the leaves will emerge and then wilt on the plant. Uh, okay, let, let's talk about that uh, a, a little bit more, get into a little bit... Uh 
Uh, and by the way, if uh, folks uh, want to call in, they can at 877-711-5611 for your treat care questions after the show today. Phil is going to be sitting at that table right over there and answering questions and talking to folks in the area because there's, uh, there's a lot of trees. Down. We've got Dan Ryan Woods, which is right to the left of us, where they had the run before the show this morning. And so I think a, a lot of people at this, uh, in this part of town are, are, are very interested in keeping their trees healthy. Um, I'm kind of interested in, in what you were talking about, the mortality of trees. Uh, do certain springs contribute to that more than others? Yeah, sometimes if you have uh, an early spring, it can also cause damage where it warms up during the day and then if the temperatures drop off very quickly at night, you can get frost cracks or, or stem splitting. Uh, it's be basically because there's a, a sudden uh, pressure change that causes shrinkage in the, the plant tissue and results in cracking. Uh, now, it's, it, I would think that a slow spring, like we've had this year, is actually good for trees. That they, when they, when they wake up slowly, is, is, is you're nodding. Is, is there any problem with a slow spring like this? Uh, no, not really. Uh, it, well, besides the fact that it, it, it's a shorter growing season, so there actually is that problem. Uh, there's less time for the plants to photosynthesize and, and create more uh, food reserves. Ah, but I, w I would imagine here in the Midwest, uh, we're used to, well, nature is used to not really getting revved up until, you know, mid-April, that, that sort of thing. So we're not really seriously behind at the moment, are we? No, definitely not. I, I believe uh, typically the last frost around here is right around Mother's Day is kind of the rule of thumb. Yeah, well, it is. <laughs> That's true. This, this year, who knows? Uh, yeah, and I tell folks uh, because of that, you know, you've got to, when it comes to not trees so much, but uh, your vegetables, especially tomatoes, everybody wants to get their tomatoes out, and they say, well, um, I hear that the May 15th is the last frost, and I say, you know what? Why don't you just wait till June 1st? Because it's not going to make any difference. Because you could get surprised, and we have been surprised. And give it, oh no, look at this, folks. Holy, have holy smokes. Keep them away from the board and my computer. All right, I guess we have to try a Mead Mosa here. Wait, we need one for Phil here. And look at this. And, yes, and, please. And, and this has got to be Audrey at work. Maybe it's Greg, but these are paper straws, aren't they? This is a. Uno mas. Oh, Lordy, that's good. Wow. That is... We need one for Phil. <laughs> we, definitely the arborist. <laughs> but but I'll, do me a favor. Don't climb any trees after you Oh, no, it. no. But arborists do like to drink. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, what I've, I've known for years is that your profession is one of the most dangerous on the planet. Uh, yeah, that's true, Mike. It, it historically has been. Um, Bartlett, though, leads by safety. You know, we are a safety-focused company. Safety above all else is actually the motto that's uh, printed on my laptop bag, believe it or not. So um, we do follow all of the safety guidelines in the industry, uh, and we are industry leaders when it comes to safety. Uh, we take several days each year to train our, our crew members uh, and our staff in all the newest uh, safety requirements in the industry. Uh, and, and, and that's something to keep in mind when you're thinking about going out and doing work on your own trees. Uh, mm -hmm. Go ahead. You were oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you always hear the story of, uh, you know, somebody's uncle who fell off a ladder and, and killed themselves, right? So 
Uh, it's better to hire a professional for these kind of things. You know, you can save a few hundred dollars, but uh, is it worth it to end up in the hospital bed? Well, and I, and I can't believe I didn't think of this until now. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was out in my backyard, and I'm looking around. And why does this happen in my neighborhood? I don't know why it's always my neighborhood. But I'm looking th three doors down. There's a guy in his garage roof, and he's pruning his tree. Not only is he pruning it, I think he's actually cutting it down because he's lopping off all the branches, and I think eventually he's going to take down the whole thing. He's got a from, ladder. From his roof. He, from his roof. He's got a ladder up on his roof that's leaned against the tree out over the backyard. So it's leaning into the tree at a, this weird angle, and the tree's coming at a weird angle, and he's up there, and I'm thinking, please don't climb that ladder. Uh, this is exactly the kind of thing you're talking about. Oh, absolutely. I, I saw a photo of something like that once, and the title of it was, Why Women Live Longer Than Men. <laughs> yeah? Oh, dear. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, well, well, what types of safety training, what types of safety practices do you do? Sure, absolutely. So uh, we, we practice um, rescue uh, climbing every year. So if, say, for instance, one of our climbers is up in a tree and something happens to them. They cut themselves, uh, you know, they have, they have a, a seizure or they have some kind of other issue where they, they go unconscious. Uh, we, we train our staff to be able to set another line to go up there and, and rescue that climber. Uh, that's something that's very important, obviously, because a lot of first responders uh, don't have the equipment or the know-how to go up and, and rescue uh, someone. Yeah, you, I've, I've watched arborists in action, uh, and uh, the way you guys get around the trees is just fantastic, and it, and it does require a lot of training. Um, and um, one thing we are aware of, Peggy and I are aware of, is that Bartlett has a terrific safety record, and you guys emphasize safety in, in, in your tree care. So let's talk a little, oh, by the way, look what just showed up for you. Ooh, look at that. Mean Grab Mosa. that. Okay, let's toast here, folks. Uh, Audrey and Greg, we're, we're toasting you here. We probably, we should probably get a shot of that. So uh, I don't know if you, if you Cheers. got. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. Except that all of our cameras are, are engaged. <laughs> Mine's sending the signal back to the studio. Mine's and Pe Skyping. And yours is <laughs> Skyping and sending the visual back to the studio. But, uh, we're, I'm going to ask you later, Greg, what's in here, but it's fantastic. These mead moses are wonderful. Very so. yummy. Yeah, <laughs> very yummy. Okay, well, you, you came here today uh, partly because this is a, a pollinator event. Uh, we're at the, one of the things that the, they do here is they raise bees and they use them for their products, for the honey. Um, and you are giving out some tree samples here. And yeah, you, absolutely. You know, what have you got for us? So one thing Barla likes to do is encourages their arborists to uh, give out a few hundred trees each year. And it, it's a way to give back to the community. And it's a way to get uh, families and kids involved in planting. You know, everyone has a story of when they were a kid and they got a tree they took home from Arbor Day and they planted it. And, and it's, uh, you know, it can be a sentimental thing. So what I brought here was, was two different species. I have mm -hmm. a, a sergeant crab. Uh, apple and it is uh, pollinator friendly and it's it's kind of a what's known as a dwarf crab apple. They only get about six to ten feet tall. Right, right. Sometimes people consider them like a crab shrub or something like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so you know, especially in an urban environment like Chicago, this is a, a really good choice if you have a limited space. Uh, it's a compact tree, uh, and in spring the pink buds open to profuse fragrant white flowers. Uh, they have persistent, you know, a third of an inch red fruit that birds love, and, and the green foliage uh, does turn to, to yellow in the fall. 
Oh, nice. So you get the, the seasonal interest. Okay. And what's the other plant you have here? The second uh, species we have is Acusa dogwood. And uh, these are a little bit larger. They get about 15 to 20 feet tall. Uh, they are an excellent specimen tree. Uh, they have four petaled white flowers that come out in June above the foliage. And they're a little bit hardier than your standard dogwood and can tolerate uh, alkaline soils a little bit better. So they are a really good choice for, for our area here because we do tend to have a little bit alkaline soils. Yeah, there you go. Um, and, and which species of dogwood again? Uh, Akusa. Akusa. Um, and uh, uh, some folks listening in other parts of the country might have acidic soils. Here in the Chicago area, very alkaline. I have had some very high alkaline readings, even in my own backyard. Uh, and that's something to take into consideration when you're planting trees, isn't it? It is, absolutely. The uh, pH. If people need, it, it really helps for you, well, to know several things. And maybe you can wax poetic on this. Uh, the pH, the, the consistency of the soil, how's it draining, uh, and a few other considerations. Yeah, there's, there's a few things that homeowners can do. You can look online, actually, and, and do a simple test to check your drainage. You can dig a hole, and, and you watch how quickly the water drains out of it after you fill it up. Um, and then if you want some more detail, you can hire a company like Bartlett or another uh, arboricultural company that will do a soil exam. Uh, the soil analysis can consist of many different things, but typically I, I just run an analysis that shows me the pH, organic matter content, uh, and any kind of nutrient deficiencies. And typically what I come get back in this area is uh, a little bit higher uh, pH, like we were talking about, a little alkaline, and uh, a little bit uh, deficient in manganese and iron and um, p potassium sometimes. So uh, that's what I see a lot around here. All right. What trees would you advise people not to grow in the alkaline soil here, especially the ones that they're always going to say, hey, can I grow? I want to grow this. <laughs> and you're, you're going to say, mm, maybe not so much. Yeah, well, you know, the, the, the standard dogwood is, is one that doesn't typically tolerate those uh, alkaline soils. There, there's a lot of other species, and a good uh, resource to, to see what works and what doesn't is the Born Arboretum's website. Uh, it'll give you uh, basically all the different metrics on, on what trees can tolerate and what they need to survive. Uh, and you can go to mortonarb.org for that. In, in, yeah, I use it often. I recommend it to people. Uh, you don't have to live in Illinois to know it's a great resource for uh, picking yeah. trees. Uh, Ellie, can you tweet that out? Uh, yeah, sure. Go for it. Um, all right. We, we've only got a couple of minutes. We'll, we'll need to break. And when we come back, we're going to have uh, Val and Nina here uh, to talk about conservation at home. Let's but you said you had a couple of things. In a couple of minutes, talk about some of the, uh, you said you had a couple of ideas sure. for spring that you wanted people to be aware of. Sure, absolutely. Uh, you know, one thing that always comes up this time of year is people love their crab apples in this area. An apple scab is, is a big concern. Um, it's a fungus that causes uh, damage to the leaves and the petioles. You know, it starts out with that olive green sooty spots, and it progresses to, to those black kind of velvety spots. There are treatments available. You know, you can, you can do preventative uh, foliar applications. We recommend three treatments about two to three weeks apart. Um, and, and then kind of coinciding with that are, are needle cast and needle blight diseases of spruce and pines. Uh, there, there's a lot of issues with spruce and pines these days, not just needle cast, but mm -hmm. uh, a variety of other diseases uh, that the experts are still studying, you know, what, what's going why, on. Why are we seeing so, the uptick in those kinds of diseases? Uh, there's no one thing that any of the experts can point to. Uh, it's 
the combination of things and uh, global climate change, uh, needle cast diseases that are, are very prevalent and advancing due to uh, this kind of rain pattern that we've been in the last several springs where we have record rainfall. And those are the perfect conditions and environment for that disease, those diseases to flourish. And part of the problem is, well, some, some of those, sometimes you can mitigate that on a tree, but often you just have to take the tree out. I had a friend send me some photos last year, and I sent it to my arborist friends, and they kind of shook their heads and said, you know, it's time to cut those guys down and, and move on to something else. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and that, I would say, don't plant any more pines or spruce, uh, just for those reasons. In this region, or uh, where, where you You know, it, we're seeing that uh, nationwide, not just in this region. Really? Are you going to make a blanket statement, no pines or spruce? You well, have? I, you know, in, in some of the more uh, arid or western environments where they're native, like a Colorado blue spruce, you want to plant in Colorado, sure. But yeah. uh, in a lot of There's areas, a reason, by the way, if you're planting it in Illinois, it's a reason they call it a Colorado blue right, spruce, right? Exactly. So <laughs> when I say nationwide, I mean areas in the nation where these species are not native and, and they haven't uh, thrived there. And, and you can see they're declining in the past uh, five to ten years. They, there's been a rapid decline. Um, uh, all right. Well, that's uh, Phil Fitch, a arborist representative from Bartlett Tree Experts. Um, he's here uh, until uh, 10 o'clock this morning, Central Time, and we're answering questions. But when we come back, we're going to be talking about conservation at home. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're live from Wild Blossom Meadery Winery and Brewery on the south side. This is Peggy Malecki. Are you ready to take your indoor gardening to the next level? Then you need to download the Anywhere, Anytime garden booklet from HappyLeafLED.com. You'll learn about lighting and troubleshooting and get advice from the pros about getting your seeds started. You'll also find recipes to enjoy the food you've grown indoors. Go to happyleafled.com and click on the microphone to download the beta version. Jumpstart your seedlings with better light. Happyleafled.com. DNR Services Unlimited has been serving the north and northwest suburbs since 1992. They can take care of those little problems that never get done. They perform complete bathroom, basement, and kitchen remodels. And if you're looking for a complete home makeover, they can handle that too. Visit their website at RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. That's RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. It'll be easy to find someone cheaper, but a lot harder to find someone better. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, and uh, we just uh, gave Randall, our engineer, a challenge, uh, and he's uh, he's living up to it so far. Two good ones there, Randall. Uh, I don't know if you can keep it up for the whole show, but uh, you're doing a great job already. And by the way, Ellie is at the studio as well. Thank you guys both for uh, for being the tech crew back at home. We're at the um, Wild Blossom Meadery Winery and Brewery, 9030 South Hermitage in Chicago. If you're in Chicago, come on by. Come by right now. There's folks sitting at the tables. There's folks. Uh, we, we had a request on Facebook for a photo of our, um, our Mead Mosa. Uh, I don't know if you've had one of these, Val, but the, uh, uh, Nina, they're, they're really good. They're just obscenely good. Uh, so I'm going to go real easy on that. Uh, and uh, sitting next to us, Val Kehoe, 
who is a, a friend of the show, but not only a friend of the show, she's a friend of Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards. Um, she is a horticulture coordinator with the University of Illinois Extension, serving Cook County. Good to see you, Val. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. It's always great to have you on the show. And Nina Baki, also a friend of SEGA. Thank you so much for all of your help in the last couple of years. And we, you should know uh, that the Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards will be happening again in Chicago, um, uh, basically sponsored by this show and Peggy's magazine, Natural Awakening Chicago, and Cook County Extension, and the Forest Preserve District of Cook County and the Park District of, of uh, Chicago and a, a bunch of other organizations. Uh, and we're doing it for our third year. We've already given out more than 100 awards. And your signs from the Cook County are awesome. Great. They're, they're great to have. So thank you for that, Nina. Uh, you uh, you tur turn that on. Click that up. I'm turning it yep, up. Yep, you're good. There you're go. good. Okay. Um, Just hold it a little closer when you talk. That's okay. I can I can boost the level here. <laughs> I have I have complete control. So you guys are not here to talk about Chicago Excellence at Gardening Awards. You're here to talk about conservation at home. Yes, we are. Um, yeah. uh, why don't you explain the program? There are people listening who probably never heard of it. People in Chicago who have not heard of it. Uh, people elsewhere in the country who might not have heard of it. So explain uh, what Conservation at Home is. Sure. So I, I'll start off by saying Conservation at Home is a regional program. Um, it's going even beyond Illinois. So for those who are living far away, can still participate in the program. It was started through the Conservation Foundation several years ago. Um, and a couple years ago, the Cook County Forest Preserves and the University of Illinois Extension um, saw it as a valuable program. And we, we decided to bring the program focus into Cook County. For so long, Cook County wasn't... Um, the, the program while it was here, there wasn't a force behind it to push mm -hmm. it out to the public. So the forest preserves really saw it as a great opportunity to go beyond our borders, to have homeowners and schools and communities complement the forest preserves with sustainable landscaping. All right. It's complementing, but uh, it's it to get involved is really not that difficult. There's there's a there's some criteria, and maybe Val, you can you can address that. One of the things that uh, perhaps people in Cook County, and and of course Chicago's in Cook County, but there's there's a lot of other area in Cook County uh, that includes forests and and other types of lands. It's not all urban, but even in an urban area, you can be part of conservation at home, right, Val? Oh, certainly. Um, the so it is a criteria, um, it is a recognition program, but it's also a consultation. Mm -hmm. um, and we train our master gardeners and naturalists to become evaluators um, and to go out on sites and um, to give consultation. We also offer public programming at our um, nature centers, at garden clubs, um, libraries throughout. Um, some of the um, points that we're trying to touch on and um, um, promote are um, just uh, incorporating some native plants within your existing landscape. Um, also uh, having um, an active uh, plan for removing some of the invasives, mm -hmm. reducing your lawn, um, keeping water on site, grain barrels, rain gardens, however you Habitat as yeah. well, right? And habitat, definitely. And, and we, we talked about that the other week about the difference we had um, uh, Dolly 
um, Dolly Foster. Dolly Foster on the show, and I and and we were at the Chicago Flower and Garden Show last week, and I said, so, what's the difference between growing native plants and providing habitat? Isn't that basically the same? But it's not really exactly the same, is it? I mean, it's part it's part and parcel. Nina, I think it is part of it. It's a big part of providing habitat, but um, the plants, the native plants are providing the food, but they're also providing the shelter. Mm-hmm. Um, we think of, you know, traditional landscaping, we might be quick to cut down all of our plants at the end of the fall, but with the native plants in our Conservation at Home program, we actually encourage you to leave your plants up, provide a little brush pile, mm-hmm. um, reduce your pesticide use, because that is that in itself can have an effect on the animals. Sure. If you're inviting them into the yeah. yard, but you're using chemicals, you're counterproductive in that way. So having a water source. Having a water source, yeah. Yes. So in that way, it's not all just about natives. Yes. You know, you've got the water. You've got, you know, a brush pile yes. can be a wonderful habitat uh, for for all kinds of critters. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I know that some people say, well, that's where the rats are going to go. Um, you have to be careful about that, but it also provides butterfly habitat and, and other kinds of habitat. Absolutely. And and our the, the great thing about our program is that I think it can be catered to some of the issues that you, the unique issues of our unique communities in Cook County. Mm-hmm. So if there's a rat issue, that's something that maybe a suburban resident wouldn't have, so we can cater. Maybe they're the having deer or, or raccoon exactly. or, or chipmunks. Or, or right. chipmunks. Yeah, well, yeah. we know about Rabbit. the chipmunks in your yard, Peggy. Yeah. So, so for a homeowner who wants to have their property assessed and and go for a conservation at home designation, what's the steps? Do they have to have a lot in place, or can they call you out and, and find out what they need to do to get there? Yeah, it, they can do both. Mm-hmm. Um, just contacting. Um, University of Illinois Extension, um, uh, they'll get my email, and um, we'll just follow up with a phone consultation, see where they're at, and um, uh, kind of advise from there. Um, mm-hmm. It's um, either public programming that we try to focus on, and then also um, if they are ready for to go the next step and become a member, then they would um, just go ahead and uh, we'd get a membership. There's an application process that they would go through. You fill, you can go to the website, find it, fill it out. We, can you get, can you give us a specific website here for that? Yes, um, it's fpdcc.com conservation backslash conservation at home. Okay, mm-hmm. F P- as in Forest Preserve District of Cook uh, County. Of Cook County, so yeah. it's fpdcc.com slash. Conservation, conservation slash conservation at home. Okay, so all there written you go. out. Yeah. So I. And if you type in conservation at yeah. home, it's going to pop up anyway. Up. Yeah. Conservation yeah. at home in Cook County gives you even a more direct there route go. to us. Yes. So also, it's um, just about promoting environmentally friendly right. practices, which are all that we kind of. It's sort of the, yeah, the, ba- yeah. The basics is it's like. Right. Don't don't mess with the environment. It's it's already under a lot of stress. You can be kinder to it, and, and it really does have an effect all the way around. And if and if you know we got a few hundred thousand people doing that, that has a huge effect. Absolutely, and you mm-hmm. know to to see the if to see all the people that are doing it, I want to give a shout out to Chicago Living Corridors, um, who's now a Chicago area Living Corridors, and they are doing a great job at mapping out all the private properties, so not public lands, private properties, homeowners who are making the effort, 
who are on board with this process. It's a great mapping system and organization. Okay. To see, that, see the corridors. I, by the way, I need to... I haven't applied yet, but I've been I've been waiting for the right moment because I, I keep I'm doing kind of what you guys uh, advise, which is each year I add a little more uh, in the way of native plants, and it's been slowly, slowly but surely, and I try to take out some of the stuff that probably shouldn't be there that I've acquired over the years. But it you can have a mix of natives and non-natives, That's, right? Yes, yes, and, you can. And um, things like trees are. are Big contributors to the points, right? Yep, we're asking. Do you get a lot more points for for, for trees than other plants? We're asking. Um, well, because this, because Cook County is um, anywhere from urban to suburbia to even rural areas, mm-hmm. um, it is the criteria is kind of tweaked for um, for the specific area. So, so yeah. say the the urban area, since I live smack in the middle of Chicago, what what kind so of tweak would, are you doing? Well, so we're. We would like you to have three native um, woody plant material on your property. So trees that or could shrubs. be trees or shrubs. Yeah, I'm trying to think if I, I've got woody, um, and they're not necessarily native. Uh, I'd have to I'd have to see what the criteria are. I have to think about that. I mean, I, I know I've got the uh, um, uh, oak leaf hydrangea, yep. which which would which be is. one. Uh, does the uh, prairie fire crab count or not? It's it's a it's a hybrid, so it's probably not is what I'm thinking. I mean, it does have um, good qualities for our pollinators, but exactly, but it might not fit that. Yeah, so yeah. now I got to look but through. But hawthorns are a great suggestion. You know, and then that's um, what I want to get a hawthorn. Right, in. Uh, sure. Oh, I have an amelanch here. Hawthorns are beautiful. I got an amelanch here, mm-hmm. and Service so I need, berries are yeah. great. Yeah. But here's the going back to your point, Mike. That we're not asking everyone to transform their yard into a native landscape. Well, that would be great, but that's not the most ideal for everyone. So you can still incorporate your favorite yeah. ornamentals into the native landscape, or vice versa, I guess. Put your native landscape into your ornamental garden. And that's an ongoing question: is the there are people out there who are purists and say you can't grow anything but natives, and then there are other people who say no, that's nuts. Uh, we're already in a post-native world, um, or, or post-strictly native world, and and I tend to side on that. I mean, I I find myself with each passing year trying to add more natives mm-hmm. because I realize I don't need the latest color of coneflower. I don't even know why you create other colors of coneflower, to tell you the truth, because there are so many other plants that I don't even know about, natives that I don't know about that I can discover. And to me, that's a new plant. Mm -hmm. And to a lot of people, that's a new plant. So you don't need the latest, greatest cultivar. And until you come up with a blue rose, I have no reason to go out and find the latest (laughs) color of rose. I mean, I really don't. And now all the Austin people and all the other roses, Uh they're going to send me emails. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just telling you, just telling you where I stand on this. All right, we have like like 30 seconds. How do you how do you run and wrap this up? How how should people get involved with this? What should they start thinking about if they're going to do this? Just small steps make big differences. So um, try to plant some, try to incorporate some natives within your garden. Um, maybe uh, plan on trying to collect some rainwater with a rain barrel. Um, just. Small steps. I like I like that idea. Thank you, uh, Nina Baki and Val Kehoe, and uh, good luck to conservation at home. We'll be right back. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Do you love trees? Do you have a great story to tell about a special tree in your life? 
The Morton Arboretum and Openlands have partnered to launch Tremendous Tree Stories, an online collection of stories highlighting people's connection to trees. Submit stories of the trees you cherish, remember from childhood, or that hold a special meaning for you. Browse the collection and consider sharing your own tree story by visiting tree-stories.org. tree-stories.org. Being a meteorologist, you see things daily that can be related or not related to climate change. And then you separate that from the climate science and the social policies. So it's almost like teaching three classes. The meteorology, which is short-term, the climate, which is long-term, and then the policy, which is government, whether or not it's federal, state, or local. I'm meteorologist Rick DeMaio. Stick around for some more insight into weather and climate on WCGO 1590, Chicago's Smart Talk. Because I love to love you. You got me tied down, my honey, babe. And yes, I love to love you the way that I do. I'm not looking at the song I'm, here. I, we're at a loss here. What do, what do we got here, Randall? This is the Kooks. This is the Kooks. The, oh, okay. What's the name of the song? Honeybee. Honeybee. Honeybee, okay. of course. All right. All right, and 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 Audrey Fisher likes that. In fact, Audrey, we're, we're staging a, a little thing. Audrey's bringing in the strawberries here. Where are my strawberries? Face there we go. Face the camera. With right, them. and there we, and and there's Audrey bringing it. Oh, and she's holding up a copy of, of Natural Awakenings Chicago magazine. So, have you treated these strawberries, or is this just a little taste for us? No, these are just. Okay, we'll leave them here and, and put them right there. There we go, and we'll share them. You can dunk them in mead. Oh, How about some bourbon mead. Bourbon mead. Bourbon you, you know, mead. I've already just started sipping second. the mead mosa, and uh, <laughs> yikes! All right. Uh, okay. By the way, we are at the Wild Blossom Meadery Winery and Brewery, 9030 South Hermitage in Chicago. If you can't make it today, you just got to stop down here because you call yourselves the. Are you the only winery in town? We're Chicago's first winery and Illinois' first meadery, and we're so tickled that we're bringing home international gold medals, and and to bring them home to Chicago is really cool. It is. It is. We'll get again. Second hour. We'll we'll talk to to Greg Greg more about that. uh, More about that. And we and we still have Nina Baki and Val Kehoe because there were a couple of things you guys wanted to get out before we let you go. I did. I just wanted to give a a mention to the Conservation Home Program is expanding to schools this year. So we uh, yes, it's awesome. We just received some funding through the Forest Reserve Foundation um, from the Warren G Levy Family Charitable Fund to help Mm -hmm. us kickstart our school conservation at home expansion. So Congratulations. if you are a school that wants a native garden, please reach out. It's just not for homeowners. It's just not for homeowners, yeah. but that's okay because you're teaching the kids about conservation mm-hmm. at home, and that's the important thing. And hand that over to Val because Val wanted to mention, and she's right, Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards, one of the focuses of that is the kind of thing you do at conservation at home. The criteria is very similar. Um, there is, um, it is... Uh, with the Sega Awards, it is more ornamental. Um, but well, you can, you, can, you can have ornamental as well, but what we find is a lot of the people entering the contest are aware of this, and they add natives to their yards. Right. Um, they're adding some natives to their yard for um, because they're beautiful and aesthetically lovely. Um, and 
We're in, in there being environmentally conscious um, and the benefits just way out everything. There's so, so many benefits. You know, and that's the other thing, you know, the, the benefits to um, your water conservation, uh, drainage, um, uh, uh, storm water management, uh, insects and animal populations, especially insects who seem to be under threat right now. Uh, Developing these landscapes that are alive are just all the more interesting. Um, they speak to all of our senses and um, both our Chicago Excellence in Gardening Award and Conservation at Home. They are very compatible. Very, right, exactly. Yeah, and I'm, we're so. glad you're with both. Thank you, yes. Val, for doing Thank that. You. We have Phil Fitch back here from Bartlett Tree Experts. Um, let's start right there, Phil, because one of the things they're talking about is the uh, growing natives in um, in the landscape. What kind of native trees do you like to rec recommend to people? Uh, well, it depends on the site and how much space they have. Of course. Uh, if they have a, a large amount of space and they want to plant a large deciduous tree, uh, I do like to recommend oaks. Uh, swamp white oak is, is my favorite. And uh, I, I just think back to why, when we... Why is, why is swamp white? I hear that all the time. And a lot of arborists will tell you, they say, yeah, I like the swamp white oak. Why does everybody like the swamp white oak? They're just so hardy and so tolerant of so many different uh, situations. You know, they can tolerate dry conditions. They can tolerate swamp conditions. They can tolerate, uh, you know, salty soils. Uh, you never see them get you know, frost cracks, really. I just think back to when we had those two really cold winters in a row. What was that, 2011, 2012, I think? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> I saw a lot of native trees, uh, hackberries in particular, uh, just got destroyed, vascular tissue, split mm. trunks. Really? Um, okay. And in the same site, this was a large homeowner association, in the same site on the parkways, all the oaks just looked phenomenal still. They, they had no winter damage whatsoever. Huh. Okay. That's it. So... Uh, and the go it, it is a go-to tree. If you're going to plant a native tree and you have the room, yeah, numero uno, go right to the oaks and, and, and start there. However, let's say you have limited space. What do you like to recommend for that? Uh, uh, possibly like a black uh, tupelo is a good choice. Um, also, there are some smaller trees that... Are, like a black hot viburnum is another good native choice here. Uh, and now, like thinking back to the Tupelo, while it may not be native, it uh, it, it it is you know favorable to bees and other uh, forging. Well, we are at a bee event here. Well, thank you for for all of that information. That's Phil Fitch. Uh, if folks want to go to the Chicago office of Bartlett, well, they can. I know they can go on Facebook. You type in Bartlett Tree Experts, and the Chicago office will pop up. And you go to Bartlett.com and you type in your zip code and it will take you to your local office. That's absolutely right. Captain's log, stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. Inexplicable, Captain. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wharf. Asparagus officinalis, or killer asparagus, was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work. Mike Novak was one of the smartest, funniest people in the horticultural world of the 21st century. Sound red alert. Shields up. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Edgar Allan Poe. Edgar Allan Poe? 
author of my favorite children's stories. Captain, I am attempting to access a copy of the masterpiece. Hmm, it seems to be available online at AroundTheBlockPress.com. 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 Yes, Mr. Watt. Yes, Captain. AroundTheBlockPress.com. How many times can I say it? Welcome to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're at the Wild Blossom Meadery Winery and Brewery, 9030 South Hermitage in Chicago. We're here with Phil Fitch, who's an arborist representative for Bartlett Tree Experts. He's also a master, a certified, how does, how does that title go? Board Master Certified Arborist. We're in, we're in early spring, uh, and we got a question about planting trees. Now, um, generally with trees, correct me if I'm wrong, as soon as the soil's uh, loose enough to work, you can get a tree in the ground, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's right, Mike. If you can dig down, uh, you know, a foot or, or more, however large the root ball is, uh, you can plant. And, and the seedlings that I brought today, you only need a few inches. But, um, you know, on a morning like today where it's 28 degrees outside, yeah, the first half an inch or so may have been kind of crusty and hard. But as soon as that sun warms it up, if you dig down a little bit further, it should be pretty loose. I did some soil samples this past week, and I didn't have any problems with uh, frozen ground. Yeah, and the point I'm I'm trying to make though is that um, you know some folks are worried that well it's still early spring and we still get frosts and we you know we'll dip below freezing, and but but trees are tough. I mean you can you can plant them early in the spring and late in the fall and they'll often survive. That's absolutely right, and you got to keep in mind that these trees were in the nursery. Uh, dormant. So all you're doing is taking them from one place and putting them in another. So it's not like you're taking them out of a greenhouse. You know, it, they're in, they're in a similar environment yeah. outside already. Yeah. Uh, so it's okay to put them in the ground this time of year. Uh, and and often these you know spring rains uh, and, and then the warm weather will will heat up the vascular tissue and they'll be able to uh, get working just like <laughs> they the, normally would. I love the idea of the trees dormant. It, it wakes up and it goes. Ah! Where am I? I, I, was, I wasn't here. Hey, wait when, a minute. Where'd everybody go? When I went to sleep, I was. there were all these other trees that were around me, and then now what happened? You took them away from its family. <laughs> all right. You wanted, uh, before we, we wrap up here, you wanted to talk about a couple of uh, disease problems that folks should be aware of. We've talked about these on the show, but it bears mentioning, again, one of the things is boxwood, various boxwood blights that are out there. Peggy and I just spent a couple of days at the Bartlett uh, research labs in Charlotte, North Carolina. And we saw an example of that. They've got, they're testing there where they have the, the boxwoods in a row. And you cannot believe how fast that uh, disease will spread from one plant to another. So what are we talking about there? So Bill? it's a bit of a mouthful, but the fungus is called Calonectria pseudo Naviculata, all right? Easy for you to say. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it was confirmed, there was a confirmed case in the North Shore last year, in okay. 2018, uh, in Chicago area here. Uh, since its discovery in the U.S. in 2011, though, uh, boxwood blight has spread to almost every state, uh, coast to coast, 
so that gives you an idea of how rapidly it can spread. Is it, and where where did it start? Where is it more prevalent right now? Do you know? Um, actually, that I, I'm not uh, totally familiar with, but I, I do know in our area that a lot of people like to plant boxwoods. Um, a lot of people like yeah. the kind of formal look and, and, and the uh, winter interest of, of the evergreen leaves. So obviously this is a big issue in the Chicagoland area. Uh, and although boxwood blight can result in the death of the plant, it is a manageable disease. Mm -hmm. And it's more browning and dropping of the leaves? Yeah, that's right. It uh, infects the leaves and the twigs, causing uh, leaf spots and twig canker, uh, resulting in rapid defoliation. Uh, and when you say it's manageable, how do you manage it? So there are a, a couple ways to manage this disease, uh, one of which is planting tolerant species or cultivars. Uh, I do have a list here that I got from, uh, I believe it was the University of North Carolina that um, provides a list of lots of different um, varieties that are uh, not as susceptible to boxwood blade as others. Um, microphilia uh, variety, Japonica, Green Beauty. Um, so, it, you know, if you go to, this is North Carolina State University, if you go to their website and look up um, resistant boxwood varieties, you'll probably be able to come upon the same graph that I have here. Okay. Um, and you can find uh, some cultivars or varieties that may work for your yard. What's important for the average homeowner is knowing that it's out there that if if your boxwood start to decline or you see the the foliage turning brown, you might have this and you need to take steps because as we saw in North Carolina, it spreads very rapidly. That's absolutely right. Yeah, there are a lot of um, boxwood diseases and disorders out there. Uh, and a lot of them have become more prevalent and, and, and well-known in the last few years. Again, going back to this, uh, you know, record rainfall that pattern that we've been in the past few mm -hmm. springs. Um, but the distinctive leaf spots, twig cankers, and rapid defoliation of boxwood blight are unlike symptoms produced by other boxwood diseases. So that is an important distinction to keep in mind. So if you see one of your boxwoods defoliating very rapidly, uh, you need to call someone uh, to take a look at that if you don't have the expertise to diagnose it yourself. Right. If you're in the area where uh, Bartlett tree experts uh, have an office, call them. But uh, if you're not in one of those areas, call call an arborist. Get somebody out there to take a look because they can they can help you with it. Yeah, that's right. They, you can go on the uh, Illinois uh, Arborist uh, Association website or the International Society of Arboriculture website and find a certified arborist in your area. All right. Uh, and there was one other thing you wanted to talk about, and that is... Uh... Yes, absolutely. Um, I did just want to to discuss more management, actually, practice about boxwood blight before we move on, if you don't mind. No, go ahead. Okay. Um, sanitation is key, so don't plant new boxwoods, um, you know, with, with spots mm -hmm. in, in the area with <laughs> yeah. other boxwoods, right? Yeah, it's sick, don't exactly. Put it in the yeah. Yeah. exactly. Yeah, so inspect it if you're getting any new boxwoods in your yard. Um, also, cultural practices, um, like planting boxwoods in full sun, uh, for example, so that they can, they can dry out more quickly when it does rain. Uh, and prune out overstory All right, uh, let me stop you there, though. A lot of people plant boxwoods in shade because they'll perform in shade, and they don't know what else to put in there because um, it's, it's a plant that you don't worry about the flowers. So they like it just because it can, it, it can survive in the shade and look decent. That's right. Um, there are certain steps you can take, though, if you're going to plant it in a shady area, one of which is to, you know, thin out or, or remove some of the lower branches on overstory trees and also uh, thin the boxwoods uh, canopy. Uh, instead of just shearing it, you can thin it to open up some, some pockets or windows, as we call them, uh, of light and, and so that air can pass through them as well. Okay. Uh, 
And there was another one other disease that you wanted to call yeah, to our attention. Yeah, another disease was is bur oak blight. Um, that is the disease that we've just recently seen in the area. There's a confirmed case of it uh, at the University of Chicago that we confirmed last year in 2018. It is caused by the fungus Tubacchia ioensis. Uh, and the symptoms begin to appear in the summer as brown wedge-shaped blotches on the leaves. Uh, and then they, they, the leaves slow, slowly turn yellow and then kind of purple-brown, and lesions form along the veins in the lower leaf surface. Why is this a, a particular problem? Uh, it's, a, it's a rather large problem because there's a lot of Baroques in the Chicagoland area, and a lot of them are, um, you know, they're native to this area, mm -hmm. and they're old trees that have been here a very long time. So if we lose them, it is going to change the landscape very significantly. Are we expecting this to be a major uh, problem? Is it going to be, it's, I would think, it's not on the scale of emerald ash borer. No, definitely not. Uh, because bur oaks only uh, you know, comprise probably a few percent of the overall uh, tree canopy in, in our area. So it's not as big of an issue. But people um, do cherish their bur oaks, and, and they've been here for a lot, some of them, you know, 100 or 200 years. So uh, think about, you know, losing that, that large specimen tree in your yard. It, it would be quite a hit. All right. Uh, wow, that's a, a lot to digest there. But, uh, again, if you have an issue, you can go to Bartlett.com. If you're in an area, if you're listening to other parts of the country uh, and you don't have Bartlett in your area, please call an arborist, call a tree care company uh, to help you with this. It's because, especially in, in the case of, of bur oaks, um, we, we need to protect those trees, and, and there are management techniques, I would assume, uh, for that, Phil. There are, yeah. Uh, there are some management techniques, uh, one of which is kind of just preventative maintenance. Uh, make sure that your, your bur oaks are well mulched, uh, you know, two to four inch layer of mulch around the um, what they call out to the drip line, which is basically the entire uh, root zone of the tree. Um, proper irrigation during times of drought, uh, fertilization, um, pruning. Basically what happens with this disease is uh, so if it does get it, um, you can inject it with a fungicide. Also, we recommend preventative injections. Um, and, you know, just monitoring, just proper monitoring of these trees. Usually it's the secondary uh, borers or, or um, bark beetles, uh, root canker diseases that will cause further decline and death after mm -hmm. it gets Baroque blight. So that Baroque blight typically isn't the, the only um, vector that ends up killing the tree. Is this something that will run through one season or this is a long-term decline? This, this is, it, it, well, it can be one season, but typically it's going to be long-term. If the tree's already uh, significantly compromised from other issues, it, it can be one season, but it's going to be more of a long-term decline. All right. Well, thank you for, for all of that information. That's Phil Fitch. We're at the Wild Blossom Meadery Winery and Brewery, 9030 South Hermitage in Chicago. Um, you're you can still come down and uh, participate in the Bee Charmer Honey and Mead Tasting. That's going to happen at 1130. Uh, we've got... Bartlett tree experts here and a bunch of guests. In fact, we're going to get to Greg from the Meadery in just a second. So here's the break. We're out of here. Be right back. When you want the best science for your trees, go to Bartlett Tree Experts. They pioneered integrated pest management, or IPM, in the 1970s, introduced the first organic fertilizer, and now Bartlett is the first and only tree care company to research the benefits of biochar on urban soils and tree health. Put science to work for your trees. Get a free estimate today. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? 
Well, that's never going to happen at Organic Roots Ego Salon. They use only the safest, most natural, professional hair products available to make sure you get great color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their salon products and services are free from ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins typically found in hair color, perms, and keratin smoothing treatments. Organic Roots also offers a complete menu of safe straightening treatments, including the non-toxic Magic Sleek and Cezanne Keratin Smoothing products that let you shampoo the same day. They even repurpose hair clippings, recycle product containers, and use LED lighting. Now that's green. Walk into 21st Century Hair Care for women and men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at OrganicRootsEcoSalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty. You no longer have to sacrifice one for the other. Well, I'm a king, babe. <laughs> Buzzing around your house. Well, I'm a king, baby. Buzzing around your house. King bee. Oh, yeah. Oh, a king bee. Okay. You know, at least you're you're keeping it uh, in in. The Southside tradition, uh, Randall. We appreciate it, and and nobody breathe, okay? Nobody move, because <laughs> we have a connection, and we want to try to keep that right now. Uh, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, live at Wild Blossom Meadery Winery and Brewery, 9030 South Hermitage in the city of Chicago. Yes, in the very city of Chicago, there is a, a winery, the first in the city, as uh, Audrey pointed out. Uh, in fact, we've got. Uh, co-owner Greg Fisher here, um, and uh, now we get to talk a little bit more about that. Earlier we had Alderman Brookins on, who seems very pleased that you guys are here, and I, I bet he is, because this is a oh, great place. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's great, and this area is so beautiful. We're you know right next to the Dan Ryan Woods. Mm-hmm. It's a 200-acre uh, forest preserve there with trails and just babbling brooks and it's it's like a piece of the country in the city it's just great i, lo- I love being here does it does it, it, it that had to have something to do with your your citing your your location here i mean it's an amazing building did you have this put up just a couple of years ago or did, did you transform another building that was no, here? this is a vacant building actually it was vacant for several years and um i just happened to be on the major taylor trail which is a great biking and running mm-hmm. trail and I saw this uh, building. And what's interesting about Beverly, where we live, is Beverly is mostly dry, uh, meaning that... Um, oh, right. That's... Okay. We were talking about that on the way down. I didn't know that. And I didn't know you could take a, a neighborhood and make a neighborhood dry, even though it's still in the city of Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I, I found out that the Major Taylor Trail was the, the dry line, and we were just over the <laughs> really? other side of it. <laughs> And, uh, and you can you know, drink on one side and not on the other. No, you can you can drink as much as you want. You just can't buy it. Oh, okay. <laughs> and um, but we got people sitting at the tables here, shaking their heads, going, "What is that all about?" <laughs> okay. Well, but you know, I know you know Evanston used to be dry. Yeah. Oak, yeah. Uh, 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 my partner Kathleen is from Oklahoma, with, and that was dry for a long time. So, there's, and there's still areas that are that well, are dry. Our other locations on Western Avenue and the mm-hmm. east side of Western Avenue is dry. The west side is wet. And that's Bevart. Yeah, Bevart. That's where our supply shop is. And you know, the Southside Irish Parade 
would go down there and the family side would be on the east side and the crazy party <laughs> side would be on the other side. So you can pick your sides, you know. Um, so, uh, and I should point out that sitting uh, next to uh, Greg is Carrie Schloss, who's back on the show, and I still I brought a copy of your book. So I'm, I'm going <laughs> to have you sign this time because I don't. You didn't sign it when you were. Oh, on I the didn't. Sh- oh, no. I should have brought mine again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I've got I've got a copy here, so I want to make sure that you shine, sign it. And she's the author of the Asheville Bee Charmer Cookbook, and the, that's the reason we're here today because at 11:30 after the show, there's going to be a, the Bee Charmer Honey and Mead Tasting with Cookbook. Have you um? Uh, with cookbook signing, have have you done events with Mead before, Carrie? I haven't, um, but I did. I was telling Greg that I had gone to a meadery in Asheville, mm-hmm. and my friends who own the Asheville Bee Charmer know this meadery, and we had done a whole um, tasting, and the blackberry um, honey poached pear in the book uses this man's blackberry mead. Ah. So it's... And it's really a wonderful, um, a lot of people, you know, don't, haven't tasted mead or don't know a lot about mead, but mead is really delicious. So it's a great well, I'm, way. I'm finding out, but then it's, there's other things in here too, yeah. besides <laughs> mead, in this mead mosa, which is uh, there, fantastic. There's a straw in it, that's it. Yeah, that's the only thing, other thing that's in it, right. <laughs> that's an echo straw too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I know this, I, I, I mentioned that, it is made of uh, paper. So you got a paper straw yeah, in here. We don't use I'm plastic so, straws here. I'm yeah. so proud of you. <laughs> you get a ding for that. <laughs> so why don't you tell us, Greg, a little bit about mead? Folks who don't know about mead, what is it? Well, well, mead, you know, is the oldest fermented beverage on earth. Before grape wine was ever around, mead actually predates grape wine for about 2,000 years. And then that well, seems impossible somehow, but yeah. there you go. But at that time, mead was such a special drink. You know, it was only the kings and aristocrats were only the ones that, that could really have it. And um, But the story why, was... Why was, is that? I mean, it, it, other people had access to honey, right? Yeah, but honey was... It, you couldn't just go to the corner store and buy tons of honey. Honey was... No, because we didn't time. have this sort of setup with hives and the European honeybees and that sort of thing. So with mead, um, you know... They would only save it for special occasions. So the biggest occasion they would serve it would usually be during a wedding ceremony. Mm-hmm. And then after the wedding ceremony, the bride and groom would get an allotment of mead to drink every night for one one moon or one lunar cycle or one month, and that's where the honeymoon comes from. Ah. And you know it has a a lot of writings about that. But um, I come from the wine industry and started making wine for a long time and then when I moved to Chicago one of the uh, gentleman named Ray Daniels who's a big beer maven here in Chicago uh, had a mead seminar and I tasted some of his meads and instantly I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I mean it was so delicious and I also already had a bee background and the more I find about it you know it's the most sustainable wine on earth um, to make one bottle of mead, the bees will go out and actually pollinate, or a pound of honey, they'll pollinate like two million flowers. And when they pollinate two million flowers, that turns those flowers into 20, 40 million new seeds, which we use that many flowers. So just think, when you eat honey, you're, you're taking place in the cycle of nature. You're not, you know, they don't have to rip a forest down to get honey. You uh-huh. know, they don't have to, you know, they don't have to use pesticides or herbicides or cultivation or irrigation they just need a green environment 
Yeah, so. but you also need here in the city, you need uh, hives. Uh, yeah, we, uh, and, and, we, and you have a number of them, but they're in different locations, right? Yeah, we have them all around the city. We have some on the lakefront. Uh, we have a lot through Morton Arboretum. Uh, we have. How, how does that work with these various areas that you just? Uh, well, we work. We work with the landowners, and I mean, people like to have bees. It it helps the environment. It, it basically, as those plants are flowering, the bees are pollinating it, causing them to go see, you know, turn to seed and make more fruit, which helps wildlife, mm -hmm. which helps just the whole, you know, ecosystem. And like we have a, a, a lot of bees down. Um, if you're familiar with Method Soap, it's a really green, yeah. super green company. I mean, the, the, the rooftop has Gotham Greens there. They're, they're growing plants, and they do everything green there. So uh, it works really great for them. They, they love, you know, having the bees there. So tell us the process of making mead from honey. I mean, I think folks can understand the fermentation process with grapes. Um, it's kind of harder to understand how it's that actually, works. It's, it's actually simpler because you're taking honey and you're adding water to honey to about the same consistency of grape juice. And then oh, really? You, you're making it, you're, you're okay. You're, you're diluting it down, you know, because honey is the one uh, food item that, that never goes bad. It never, you could, you could keep, you know, they found honey in the tombs. That was still good, mm -hmm. and as long as honey is in its honey state and at low moisture, it will last indefinitely. But once it gets the you know the, the moisture goes up, then the yeast are able to ferment, mm -hmm. and then you add, you add yeast to yeah, it. Yeah, we add yeast. You could go with the wild yeast, but you never know what you're going to get. You know, and uh. most wine you know <laughs> winemakers. You know, will use a cultured yeast, and it's not you know anything artificial. It's just a clean, pure culture versus using something that may have other bacteria in it. Well, now I don't have pure mead here, so I can't tell you exactly what it tastes like. What? How would you describe the taste? Oh, mead. Well, mead can taste whatever the way you want it to taste. Okay. <laughs> well, it depends it's, on the honey. It's yeah, it depends every, on the honey. Everything to everybody, right? Okay. Yeah, it sure. It all depends on the honey and the mead maker. I mean, each flower is going to make a totally different type of honey, so that that has an influence on it, and then you can. Um, we have a chocolate mead, so we ferment it with cocoa, and it's 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 wonderful. So uh, I want to get to Carrie here, but last question is: um, How much of the business is mead? How much of it is beer? How much of it is wine? It's ninety percent mead. Really? Yeah. So you've gone sort of all oh, yeah, crazy for mead, mead, right? Yeah, yeah it's it's <laughs> nice. You know, beers. I like beer. You know, I want to have a beer once in a while. You could be a Supreme Court justice. There we go. Oh, never mind. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think we need to move on. Uh, Moving right along. Uh, let's go to author Gary Schloss. How do you like that for an introduction? Uh, the, the author of the Asheville Bee Charmer Cookbook, and it's a lovely book. We've got a bunch of them here. Folks want to come down and get one and get it signed. Um, so tell me, I mean, you, you said you haven't been to other... Uh, meaderies before, but you've you've worked with mead, um, and what what do you think it brings to the table? You're you're if you're using mead, you're also using honey, right? You're using both. Yeah. So in a, in in a the, recipe, like in the poached pear recipe that yeah. I did, I used both when I made the syrup. Mm -hmm. So I made the syrup using the wine and then the honey as an additional sweetener, and so I used a um, blackberry mead and then I used blackberry honey just to and 
fresh blackberries to kind of intensify the flavor. Um, so for me, it's just a layering effect. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. and I think that um, like mead, just like any grape wine, can enhance a dish. And so that's one of the ideas be behind the tasting that we're going to do. So what are we going to have today? What, do you, what have you got on the table for us? So there's six dishes, um, an ap the apricot glazed chicken kebabs, <laughs> and um, we're... I'm, I'm there already. I'm sold. Okay. <laughs> and it's getting paired with the prairie passion traditional uh, no, no meat. Pun, no pun intended with the pears, right? <laughs> getting paired. But um, bum. Yeah. And um, then we're doing a... The honey roasted Brussels sprouts. Mm. Oh. And okay. like I love roasting vegetables and it always brings out a sweetness. And there's just something about adding in the honey that just makes these Brussels sprouts amazing. I, I have to say one thing. Um, if you are not a fan of Brussels sprouts, you haven't had them cooked properly. That's all I have to say about Brussels sprouts. Until you get a Brussels sprout, and when you get a Brussels sprout cooked properly, you will you will be a fan forever. Yeah, I mean, I hated Brussels sprouts when I was younger, and now it's one of my favorite things to eat. I am not surprised, because if you do it right, like I exactly. said, they're wonderful. And um, then we're doing a, oh, sorry, and that's getting paired with the blueberry meat. Yeah. And then um, we're doing a lentil and sweet potato stew, mm. which is actually inspired from my travels to West Africa. Mm. Um, and that's getting paired with a hibiscus mead. Um, some roasted root veggies with um, a lemon mead pairing, and wow. then um, spiced beef empanadas with a Syrah mead, and pork adobo with a wild berry mead. I'm I'm watching these likes come up on, <laughs> on, on, Facebook. on Facebook right now as we're as you're uh, listing all of these. That sounds and then fantastic. we're also going to taste the honeys that went into okay. making them. So you'll get to taste some of the smoking hot honey, the firecracker hot honey some buckwheat honey, um, orange blossom, sourwood, which is tastes just like buttery caramel. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it sounds like it. This is, this, uh, <laughs> uh, and more, more and more yeah. of these. Are, oh! Yeah, and there's still time. People can come on down yeah. here and, and... Yeah, we got an hour before yeah. the uh, the event starts, the uh, the honey tasting. That's uh, getting a lot of likes. <laughs> uh, uh, so I hope some Who more... doesn't like... My, the lesson I learned long ago is bring food to yes, any event. bring food. And it'll be a success. Wow. <laughs> uh, so uh, tell me how, how, how... Since we saw you in November and you were already running around there's there's lots of articles out there um how's the uh, the tour been going and uh, how's the book doing it's been doing well and um i'm really excited because this summer uh the chicago botanic garden is featuring bees so i'm going to do a few cooking classes out well, there there you go summer. there you go yeah and um it's really wonderful to just see how um much people are really focused on bees and how important they are to the um Sorry, the environment and all of that. Sorry, I hear the feedback and it's thrown. Oh, I'm sorry. Just yeah, the speakers. We've got a. We got a. She's hearing herself come back. Going a little yeah. sorry. I'm like, who is that? <laughs> it's you. Yeah. It's you, by the way. Uh, but that's a really good point. Um, and and one of the uh, the idea that um, bees are important to our food, but the honeybees that we cultivate are not natives. 
Uh, do you in, use any native pollinators at all, Greg, or are you uh, focused more mm -hmm. on your, your managed hives? No, I'm mostly focused on managed hives, although I've worked But you're with, right next to a forest preserve yeah. where obviously <laughs> there's going to be some natives here. Yeah, we've worked with uh, um, leafcutter bees. Uh, I used to be a commercial beekeeper out in uh, out west. And, and oh, I didn't know a, that. And that was a... Uh, instead of the honeybee. Oh, that's right. Actually, I wrote that last night, and then I forgot it already, because you started you just started this when you were eight years old. Yeah, yeah. My my grandfather had a hive, and then uh, my dad had a hive, and I started, you know, keeping bees and uh, really loved the, the whole beekeeping aspect. But as I got into college, found that, that you know, the beekeeper, beekeepers, it's a hard life because your bees die, and there's they, they live, and, they, and it's it, it's very tough to to keep bees nowadays so well, what, I, what have you 60, we've got 60 seconds here what have you experienced in the last uh few years where a, uh, a lot of beekeepers been dealing with it's a challenge it's a big yeah, challenge so it's still so a big we're, challenge we're we're working on it and we're coming up with new remedies uh you know and to keep our bees healthy and that's the biggest thing mm -hmm. is we keep keep the bees healthy and they'll they'll do okay all right, well, uh, we, we need to take a break. Hold that thought, Carrie, because whatever it is. Uh, that's Carrie Schloss, uh, author of the Asheville Bee Charmer Cookbook, and uh, we have Greg Fisher, uh, who is with Wild Blossom Meadery Winery and Brewery. That's where we are broadcasting live. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Like we said, come on down. We still have the honey tasting uh, and honey and mead tasting. It's at 1130. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Muggy, and we'll have more when we return. Did you know that a running toilet can waste up to 200 gallons of water per day? In the Green Diva Minute, you'll learn more and be on your way to living a deeper shade of green. Water is a precious and vital resource, and 750 million people on this planet don't have access to safe, clean water. So let's not waste what we have, okay? According to the EPA, we lose over 1 trillion gallons of water a year to household leaks. So let's fix those leaky faucets, folks. While you're at it, consider installing a low-flow showerhead and a low-flow toilet. And maybe sing a shorter song when you're in the shower, because Americans also use 1.2 trillion gallons of water just showering every year. Just saying. I'm Green Diva Meg. Find more useful Green Diva podcasts, videos, and of course, lots of low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green at thegreendivas.com. This is Mike Novak. Serious and even not-so-serious gardeners in the Chicago area know that there's a year-round resource that always comes in handy, Chicagoland Gardening Magazine. It's the garden magazine for our region, and it's packed with information about plants indoors and out. Every issue contains insightful articles by gardening pros, fantastic photos, science, and more. With features like what to do in the garden, design tips, and Chicagoland natives, you're going to be ready to grab a trowel and dig. Even I have a column in the inside back page of every issue. It's practically fact-free, and I'm proud of it. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state -state gardening magazines. Go to chicagolandgardening.com and get a subscription. If you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600. 
Back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Randall nails it once again. Randall uh, and the B-Tunes. Uh, there we are. And uh, <laughs> we are at the Wild Blossom Meadery Winery Brewery on the south side of Chicago. And as we said, come on down. you still got time to participate in the Beach Armor Honey and Mead Tasting and cookbook signing. And the woman who wrote that cookbook is Carrie Schloss. She's sitting right next to us. It's the Asheville Beach Armor Cookbook. And a lot of people have been very impressed with what you have to write. Are you finding that it is resonating with people who have traditionally gone down the sugar route? Yeah. Oh, sorry. That's my fault. Go ahead. Oh, no, yeah, it's been great. Um, you know, one of the things that I get all the time is like, oh, we didn't realize that honey could be really substituted for sugar. And, you know, it can, and it's so much healthier for you. I mean, there are some things I think we talked about the last time I was on that structurally you still need sugar for. Yeah. Like a meringue. A meringue. Yeah. You know, um, I I think I told you, like, I made these beautiful looking meringues that the minute you touched them, it was like a soft, gooey marshmallow because it didn't have the structure. Mm -hmm. But um, it, you know, I think the other thing that people recognize is that when you actually cook with honey, like making barbecue sauce, for example, you normally use brown sugar and you have to cook it, cook it, cook it because you have to melt the sugar, have everything meld. But with honey, you can, in five minutes, have a delicious barbecue sauce. So it just speeds things up, and um, it Sometimes. just tastes yeah. great. <laughs> there, yeah. So for a barbecue sauce, are there certain honeys you prefer? So for me, I like to use buckwheat honey in the barbecue okay. sauce because it really mimics molasses. And then um, I also use either the smoking hot, um, which has chipotle, or the firecracker hat, mm -hmm. or both. And those are recipes in your book? Yeah, so the barbecue sauce is in the book. Okay. And um, But one of the things I really like to tell people is use the recipe as inspiration because you should use what you have in your um, kitchen, like in your pantry or mm -hmm. in your refrigerator, and be creative, you know, and... Well, yeah, well right. okay, but there's, but there are, there, <laughs> hold on, hold on, there's people like me, okay, out there as well, and I want to see it in the book, and I want, I want you, to, I want you to walk me through it, and then, once I've done it, maybe I'll get a little creative, but, uh, you know, it's hard enough for me to even imagine winging it in the, in the kitchen. Well, the good thing about the cookbook and the recipes in the book is I specifically wrote it with the home cook in mind, mm -hmm. because chefs are notorious for writing um, uh, poor recipes that people can't follow at home. Um, so <laughs> that require things weighed out in grams. Yeah. So one of the other things I did when I wrote the book is I had friends of mine test all the recipes, ah. and I watched them make it so that I could see what they didn't Ooh. understand from the recipe. No, and I That's love the fabulous. idea of Carrie standing behind them going, you're doing that wrong. No, you're, doing, I, you're doing that <laughs> wrong. Yeah. No, oh, I, I, observed, I observed in silence, and at the end, after they had finished, <laughs> I said, can you tell me, like, why you did that? Or, mm -hmm. And it was really interesting for me because there were some instructions that I ended up rewriting for every recipe in the book. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, 
So with uh, farmer's market season coming, you know, people are going to have a lot more of a choice of honeys besides what's in the store. Um, what do we tend to see locally around here? What are the most common honeys that people can be buying? Actually, I find uh, the majority of the honey that come that we get is uh, the linden honey. Okay. That's uh, why you were asking yeah. for linden yeah. trees. A lot because of linden trees. When, they, when, you know, the lindens bloom uh, towards the end of June, and uh, the bees have already built up, so they have a full population, So and they just weep nectar. I mean, the bees, <laughs> I've seen a hive fill up with linden tree honey in, in, in less than a week. I mean, it, you know, there's like no honey in it, and then a week later, the whole hive is just stocked full of honey. So it's when amazing. do they start harvesting that honey? Uh, you could start harvesting it right away. We usually harvest more towards the fall, okay. uh, towards like the end of August, and then the we can get another crop around October. But a lot of times we've been leaving it on on the bees, to, so they have a, a really strong winter. Yeah, that's what I read is that you tend to to leave them with uh, some of their own honeys just so. Well, you, you have to. That's their yeah. food. Yeah. You know, we always have to leave about 60 pounds of honey in each hive, so. They, and, you know, that's what's so neat about bees is they overproduce. It's like the only insect that actually produces more than they need, and we're able to harvest it. Uh, unlike m most people who, who promise a lot and then don't come through the bees, through, they, yeah. they underpromise and overproduce. And, and use more you, than they need. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you, linden honey, which also goes by the name mm -hmm. of basswood, okay. is Fantastic! It's one of my absolute favorite honeys. Really? Okay. Yeah. What are you, what are your favorite uh, varietals? Uh, basswood, obviously. Um, for me, I I really have been turned on by this one called fireweed, and I love it because if when there's a mass fire, this plant that has that's bright red and pink mm -hmm. comes up, and then it produces really like the filet mignon of honeys. I know if you've seen out in uh, California where all the fire was, yeah. it's just exploding in flowers now because they get you know, much more rain. And they got a lot of rain, right. right. And it is just... I saw the, some of the photos, uh, right, it's from Southern California, and the hills are, are completely filled with flowers. I know. That's, and that's people amazing. are saying it's, a, it's an event of a lifetime, and you're lucky if you're there to see it now. There's been some tragedy before then. Right. But... but even where there wasn't fire, the rains have produced so many flowers out there. And it has also produced the explosion of the uh, butterflies, the, mm -hmm. um, the painted ladies, painted ladies w in, the, in the billions or a billion or something wow. like that. Just a ridiculous number of painted ladies. I had somebody, oh, and, and, and I'm so glad I remembered this because she's a, a listener um, out on uh, the West Coast, uh, a, a longtime listener, and there, there is her email, and that is Tina Robinson. And I'm going to give a shout out <laughs> to Tina because uh, she's in California, and she listens to the show all the time, and she said, I've seen thousands of monarch butterflies, and I had to write to her and say, well, it's, they're not monarchs. They're, they're painted ladies, but it's kind of cool that they're there, yeah. so this is what's going on there. So what I'm going to ask is, what varietals are we going to have here today of honey? So we're going to do um, orange blossom, sourwood, a late harvest wildflower, um, which is slightly darker than a spring wildflower, buckwheat, um, the firecracker hot honey, and the smoking hot honey. Now, are, are you going to give folks a chance to taste the honeys outside of a dish as well? Yes. So you'll get to taste the honey alone, then you'll get to taste the honey in the dish, 
and then you'll get to taste the dish with the mead so you can see <laughs> how the dish is improved by the wine pairing. Oh, that's, that just sounds wonderful. Um, and obviously there aren't as many varieties here as you're going to get uh, at the Asheville Bee Charmer. Yeah, so at any one time they have about 50 varieties of honey. And some are um, infusions that they take their own wildflower honey that they produce and then they infuse it. Like you were talking about the cocoa mead, they do yeah. a cocoa honey that I'm telling you, you could just eat it by the spoonful. <laughs> and um, then they obviously have all the mono varietals from, some from the U.S., like sourwood's very prevalent down in North Carolina, so mm -hmm. that's kind of their local honey. And, um, and why don't we explain what the Asheville Bee Charmer is for folks who didn't catch you on the show in November yeah. and aren't, aren't exactly sure why your book is called this. Sure. So two friends of mine um, moved to Asheville, and they, they had taken a beekeeping class when they still lived here in Chicago at Garfield Park Conservatory and learned how to be beekeepers, moved to Asheville, and really just started to embrace honey and beekeeping and open this store and it has 50 varietals of honey. They sell other bee products like bath products or, um, you know, soaps and uh, also a few like utensils that you need for honey. And I went down there a few years ago to visit them and literally sat at their honey bar <laughs> and tasted 50 honeys in two days. And the cookbook came out of that because as I was tasting these honeys, all these recipe ideas just yeah. came flying out of me. Just instant and, inspiration. Yeah, and I mean, I still have my notes from that honey tasting, and it's like five pages of eight and a half by 11 paper just filled with notes and ideas. Wow. Just, all right, more honey, please. i got to write yeah. some notes here. <laughs> and, and so listeners could go to their website and order honey? Yeah, so if you go to the AshevilleBeeCharmer.com, you can order any of the honeys online. Um, and also, if you're in Asheville, which is an amazing place to mm -hmm. go to, they're on Battery Park Street, and you should just go down and, and go to the honey bar and taste some honeys yourself. We should have made a trip over there, a side trip. We were in Charlotte uh, just uh, a, a few days ago. But yeah, it's not that far. Yeah. Yeah. You'll have to go back to Asheville. Asheville's a very, very nice town. Yeah, and I mean, amazing... Um, breweries, mm -hmm. apple cider, they've got meadery, yeah. you know, the honey. So what's next? My next idea for a book, um, I'm a big traveler, and I'm, I've almost reached my goal of visiting 100 countries. Wow. So I was thinking of writing something that was my favorite recipe from every country I visited. Oh, that sounds right. great. All right. <laughs> Let us know. You know do it. Uh, all right. And before we go, Greg, I want I want you to uh, give a little plug for the meadery and winery here. Uh, when can folks stop by? What can they expect to see here? Yeah, we're open uh, Wednesday through Sunday, and we have a tasting room where you can taste 23 different meads on tap. My goodness! And then we have some uh, we have a mead club where we actually have uh, specialty meads that are everything from barrel aged to fermented with Syrah grapes to um, so I say mead can be whatever you want it to be. Uh -huh. and, uh, you know, we're the first meadery in Illinois, but uh, several other meaderies are actually uh, opening. And, you know, mead is the mm. next, you 60. know, craft 
boom, you know, you saw. Yeah. So you think so? You think it's beer. now it's going to go from craft beer to meadery to well, mead? I, I think it's it, mead is really going to make it a prominent place in in the uh, you know in the craft beverage you know world. I would yeah. say. Yeah. So what's your next next couple of events in April? Um, we have a lot of outdoor events. We do some brunches in the morning. Um, we just had our 5K race. Uh, we also teach wine making and brewing here too. So well, we there you go. People come in, and you know we have all the fun. And um, actually, out here we have several people who have our students who are uh, either beekeepers, so that's why their own they're here. Meat or or have they made their own wine. All right. Well, thank you, uh, uh, Greg Fisher. Thank you, Carrie uh, Schloss. Uh, come on down. There's going to be tasting. Rick DeMaio weather is next. This is Mike Novak. Are you ready to take your indoor gardening to the next level? You need to download the Anywhere, Anytime Garden Booklet from HappyLeafLED.com. You'll learn about lighting and troubleshooting and get advice from the pros about starting your seeds. Go to HappyLeafLED.com and click on the microphone to download the beta version. Your suggestions might be used in the final publication. HappyLeafLED.com. Your seedlings will thank you. Chicagoans are always looking for new resources and innovative ways to live healthier lives. This is Peggy, and I publish Natural Awakenings, Chicago's greenest and healthiest local magazine. And if you want to reach our area's fast-growing wellness and sustainability market, you need to get your business in front of our 80,000 targeted monthly readers. Call me today at 847-858-3697 and check us out at nachicago.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good, live simply, laugh more. All right, Randall. Uh, you saved the best for last, uh, Randall, I see. Well, <laughs> welcome back on the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're live at the Wild Blossom Meadery, Winery, and Brewery, 9030 South Hermitage in Chicago. The more folks coming in, and we... Uh, yeah, we've, we've had a nice studio audience here this morning. I know. In about 40 minutes, uh, we're going to have the Bee Charmer Honey and Mead Tasting and Cookbook signing with Carrie Schloss and the other folks here at the Meadery. You can see Greg setting up the glasses over there for, for the tasting. We've got Bartlett Tree experts here. Um, so um, we're still giving out trees, so you can go to that table right over there and get a tree. Um, uh, and um, the Sergeant Crab and the Coosa Dogwood yes. uh, are, are the ones here. And you can talk to Phil Fitch uh, about your tree care issues because he's here. He's in the house. All right. I believe we have meteorologist Rick DeMaio. Rick, are you with us? I'm with us. I'm with us. Yay! <laughs> okay. Good morning, Rick. Hey, dude. Good, you, good you, morning, Peg. Are you, are you guys drinking coffee or beer? Coffee or beer. We're drinking mead. We have mead mosas here. Uh, I still don't know exactly. Oh. We're, we're holding them up to the Facebook camera. I'm still not sure what it, what's in here, but they're awfully good. Okay, that's the scary part. And, and there's coffee yeah. here too. They go down really easy. Um, yeah. And I was just going to yeah. say, uh, Rick, uh, dude, you got some splaining to do. There was snow uh, uh, on my front parkway this morning. <laughs> I know. I, I talked about this uh, last week that there was another shot of cold air. Uh, coming down the length of the lake, and believe it or not, this was a lake effect snow. 
uh, how often you get lake effect snow in late March in Chicago is extremely rare. A couple of things. Uh, you need the atmosphere to be really, really cold. Um, and you need the lake to actually have no ice on it, which is, you know, it's not out of the question for the lake to be somewhat ice-free by the time you get to the end of um, March. But most of the Great Lakes are basically ice-free. And it's kind of interesting because the National Weather Service up in Milwaukee, um, in association and accordance with the Great Lakes Environmental Research Lab, which I believe is located uh, at Western Michigan University, released a report just last week showing the decreased amount of ice on the Great Lakes um, on average, and also the fact that we're getting less ice later, which is a sign of the warmer winters. And it's just been reported also that the winter in Chicago and much of the Midwest was actually slightly above normal, even though we had some of the coldest weather we've had around here uh, in, in nearly 35 years back during late January. Yeah, well, that's because December and uh, early January were fairly warm, right? Yeah, yeah. I think it was like the first six or seven days of the month of January uh, were actually above normal that we got into that cold period. And this also is going to go down on a scale of 1 to 10 from a winter severity index, believe it or not, as like an 8. Isn't that odd? And that's mainly due to the fact that we had so many of these systems that came through that produced um, a lot of snow mixed with sleet and freezing rain on many occasions. We didn't really have one big snowstorm. In fact, if you go back and look at it, uh, the biggest snow that we had was the Sunday after November, um, after uh, Thanksgiving. So again, I, I, and, and we had this before, we had some of the biggest snows of the year early and then again late, and I think all that really does is it kind of stretches out the misery a little bit. So in addition to the fact that we got snow, Mike, on the last official day of March, um, it just it just it just makes the last six months that much more like really are we done with this yet? Yeah, well, March came in like a cougar and it's going out uh, like a puma. <laughs> so, in, in, in like a lion and out like a lion. Something like it. In like a lion and out like a lion. Yeah, we're 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 done with this out like a lamb stuff. I don't think that ever happens. Although. Um, I mean, no, we've had some really no. warm days in the last week or two of March. Most of the time around here, it's basically it comes in and it leaves basically with the same with the same face, uh, which is <laughs> it's scary now, and, and we're tired of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I was seeing somewhere that the the wildest swings, uh, temperature swings, are this is the time of the year for that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I still remember fondly back in 1986 uh, when we hit 88 degrees, and there's been, there's, been, there's been years in the past where we've gotten to 80 or even 70 and, yeah. and still had at least a shot of cool air coming in. Uh, the good news is that even though the air that's coming in from Canada this time of year is cold, it's not going to get us down below zero. Uh, but as we've seen in the past, um, you can easily have you know, sub-freezing conditions um, as late as the first week of May. Um, however, we have had sometimes in the past the last freeze of the year um, as early as the last week of March. But I don't think that this, this year is going to do that. It looks to me more like 
you could still have some cold weather uh, pretty much into about the third, maybe even the fourth week of April. And part of that is due to the fact that there's this big area of warm temperatures beginning to develop across parts of Western Canada and up into Alaska. And we've seen this before. I know, Peg, you pointed out the warm blob. When it gets warm in that part of North America, we generally stay somewhat cool. And even though, well, you know, we'll have days above 50. I mean, look at last week. We had a high of 65 degrees, which kind of came out of nowhere. And then two days later, we get this shot of snow that comes through. So, again, high variability. I know you guys are giving out trees. People want to start planting. But I think we all know we have at least another month, if not maybe five weeks, before you can kind of put stuff in the ground and feel and feel good about it. The annuals will do okay. But, well, well, trees I mean, actually. will do okay, but not the other yeah, Trees are—they're—they're they're pretty tough. Uh, you can probably—and yeah. and, uh, Phil, Phil, I'm going to ask you a real quick question. Uh, he's busy talking to people. I was going, but some, with trees, you can start to get them in the ground right about now. The other thing you mentioned, Alaska, and I read—and and we need to get to a forecast here in a second—but I sure. read that yeah. the uh, yeah. Fairbanks had two consecutive days in March that did not yeah. go below freezing, and they wow. have never seen that before. Yeah, I, I think I sent that that info to you guys last week that we had some of the earliest, no, not some, but we had the earliest ever 70-degree um, days in a row, two in a row, not only in the Yukon, but also in Alaska as well. And that's one of the reasons why we got pretty cold here. So real quickly, before I get to the forecast, what, 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 what is the platform of the people running for mayor? What is their platform on the environment? Is it a thumbs up or a thumbs down, guys? It's a thumbs up. Uh, I think both candidates uh, have planned to bring back the Department of the Environment, and that's a good place to start. Good. They're both running on, yeah, and and they're both uh, talking about lead in the water and how we need to uh, right. figure out uh, right. a way to mitigate that. So I'm hearing good things about the environment at any rate, things I didn't hear with okay, the previous well, administration. <laughs> All right, yeah, what's our forecast? All right, real quickly, uh, so today obviously temperatures in the low 40s, low 50s tomorrow and probably staying in the low 50s during the day on Tuesday. Rain arrives Wednesday, and unfortunately, rain all day on Thursday for the White Sox home opener. Temperatures averaging near normal for the next seven days, Mike and Faye. Uh, near normal. Okay. You know, and it won't be too long. You and I are going to go out and play some golf. Yes. I, 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 already, I already got another person from the news business, John Dempsey, over at... Double LS. So hopefully you need Dave Stewart. We'll have a nice force. <laughs> that sounds great. Let's get the media folks out there. All right, Rick. Thank you so much. Thanks, talk, Rick. Talk to you next week. Take care. Bye. Bye, Peg. Bye. Bye, Peg. All right. Uh, and that's uh, uh, about wrapping it up. We want to thank everybody who is here at our live broadcast today. Uh, Phil Fitch, who's uh, answering questions out there. And quick nod. You could get t trees in the ground now, I would think. Yeah, he's yep. nodding. He's saying, do it. This is a good time. Other plants, not so much, but trees, they're, they're pretty tough. They're so good. Phil Fitch is from Bartlett Tree Experts in Chicago. Uh, Val Kehoe was here from Illinois Extension in Cook County. And Nina Baki from Forest Preserves of Cook County. want to thank Greg Fisher and Audrey Fisher, who own the Wild Blossom Meadery. And, of course, Carrie Schloss, uh, the author of Asheville, the Asheville Bee Charmer Cookbook. Until next time, go green or go home. Uh, Stadler? Yeah, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much. <laughs>